ghosts, specters, whatever you want to call them, they've been around for thousands of years. Apparently she died from a tooth infection in one of the upstairs rooms in the house. As have the locations they haunt. History of a Haunting Podcast tells you all about these famous, infamous, and almost famous locations, and why they became terrifying places to visit. Grab a glass of wine and settle in with your hosts, Archie. I mean, that was definitely the wrong thing to do. And Carrie. Nobody asked for it, Carrie. Nobody fucking asked for it, but <laughs> hey, my podcast, and I'll say what I fucking want. <laughs> Two people just winging it in life, and this podcast. So enjoy this week's episode of History of a Haunting. I don't know. Hi, guys. Recording in progress. Oh, click accept. They're all like, oh, right. I forgot. We have to do something. Right. I was like, where's my mouse? (laughs) Welcome to another professional episode of History of a Haunting. I'm Carrie. <laughs> I'm Archie. And I'm Laura. And um, we have uh, just a couple of EVPs to go over before we get started. Another tag team episode, guys. Um, I'm finding a lot of these actually lately where there's no set history, there's no set haunting. It kind of goes part and parcel with each other. So That's we've all got like, I do too. I like these. Yeah, they're fun. Yeah, it is fun. Yeah. You're like, I get to participate. You guys let me talk. Just... <laughs> <laughs> let her talk. They let me. <laughs> let her talk. <laughs> Look at, oh, they let me do stuff. <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> the first, the first EVP that I, I only had the one, um, but last week we covered sleep paralysis cases. And one of our Patreons, um, after they listened to the episode, had commented and had said that for years they had suffered from sleep paralysis episodes multiple times a week. So good heavenly days. I can't imagine how awful that must have been. But um, they said that a few months ago, they got diagnosed with sleep apnea and they were put on a CPAP machine. Since using the machine, they have not had one sleep paralysis episode. So um, I thought that was pretty interesting. And, And I was having a conversation with them and I got to thinking that it kind of makes sense if so sleep apnea is where the, your breathing is obstructed or it stops completely when you're asleep. So your brain is constantly being deprived of oxygen for however long that could easily lead to hallucinations and, and things like that in your sleep. If your brain is being deprived of oxygen. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And a lot of those Remember, people were talking about like how they felt like they were being choked or smothered or held down. Yeah, that would explain mm-hmm. a lot of that, like pressure on the, ch- you know what I mean? Pressure on the chest, like when you can't breathe, when you can't get a or, full breath in. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like and like being like cold, maybe even like in the mouth a lot that was happening. Oh, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. it's quite it's, to hear somebody try to sleep with sleep apnea is actually kind of alarming to just kind of hear that like their breath just stop and then just kind of try to get it back is actually quite alarming to, to witness. So um, yeah, I think we did it guys. I think uh, we solved uh, the case of, of sleep paralysis and the cure is a CPAP machine. Um, Great, there you go. Everybody, you're welcome. You're welcome. Take this to your doctors um, and tell them that uh, the, the medical podcast history of a haunting told you <laughs> this is the problem we're not certified professionals <laughs> just a caveat to that right. but <laughs> don't sue us by all means go get your darth vader sounding machine and get that shit on and you will feel better maybe yeah maybe <laughs> maybe i mean it, it it worked for our patreon so Anyway, I thought that was really fascinating, um, and I really enjoyed the little conversation that that we had. So I was like, "We gotta, we gotta share." So uh, that's all I have. What about you guys, uh, Laura? You got anything? No, no, just uh, a pretty normal week actually. For once, cool. No okay. Jello incidences. No, nothing crazy. Everything's been pretty chill. <laughs> Any childhood food staples that you've introduced to your kid, or no? 
no, not this week. He uh, <laughs> is still like super enthralled with Jello and now uh, wants it all the time, which is kind of annoying. And people keep bringing up Jigglers. Hello, Carrie. Mm-hmm. And I am trying to avoid this, but you know. Oh, but also the sparkly Jello too. You know, with the cold. Right. Yeah, and I was like, everybody needs to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Saying this when they're on speakerphone around him. Oh, oh, there is one funny thing. Okay, so he was in this camp all week, like a day camp, and the theme of the week is uh, like seafarers, so it's like pirates and stuff. So I guess on Monday they made sauerkraut and put it in jars, you know, to ferment. Ew. So he, yeah, and then he brought it home today. Oh God! Because it's the end of the end of the week, right? right? This is the end of the the theme. And hands it to me and is like, "Look, Mom, you need to eat this." And I'm like, "Thanks, baby. Can we do it later?" Like, <laughs> I really don't want to eat this. It doesn't Mm-mm. look good. It doesn't smell good. I'm really so. What I'm is it sure exactly? Is it? It's just- like fermented cabbage. In like vinegar or yeah, in like a jar, yeah, in a mason jar, in a little mason jar. I was wondering what stinks. Was. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. it was kind Sometimes. of leaky. I'm like, I, I do not, I do not feel like this is a good, mm-hmm. this is a good experiment that they're gonna make their parents eat. I feel like this is torture. Yeah. Like I paid for this shit. I shouldn't have to eat <laughs> fucking sauerkraut at the end of the week. They did not put this in the program. I would not have signed up. That's yeah, I wonder I, because now he's going to be offended if I don't eat it, right? Like because he he made it. Like now I have to. So good lord, so, I'm going to have to have a couple beers while we record, and then I might have to eat sauerkraut. So pray for me that oh, I live. Man. Sometimes I get a hankering for it. Like I like I, sauerkraut. I actually do like it. It's like just, um, this like isn't I, fucking sauerkraut. This is some shit my kid made <laughs> in a jar <laughs> that's not even fully sealed on Monday. That now it's Friday evening oh. and he wants me to fucking eat and i am scared to death of it i'm pretty sure free, that i'm gonna die free botulism yay mm-hmm. this didn't come from no pretty much deli i ain't eating it right. <laughs> this is pretty much a new diet plan <laughs> when i get wow. food poisoning so great and oh, that's, that's what causes sleep paralysis <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this you're gonna is have actual have. paralysis <laughs> <laughs> right oh shit my god okay uh, wow so re- i'll report back on how sick i am <laughs> please do or you know please next do. week if she's dead then <laughs> i'll report why. back yeah the sauerkraut the homemade child <laughs> sauerkraut got her yeah, all right whoever came up with this okay. is torturous yeah. well i uh i i too have an evp to add which we recently discussed um some things going on in my life have been affecting me negatively and in turn i have begun acting negatively affecting things in my life including not this ghosts, guys it's not a ghost <laughs> it's it's, not. the way it's you started demon. that i was like <laughs> it's not a ghost <laughs> <laughs> no no shit shit at work has really hit the fan and it's really it's affecting me in ways that i hadn't anticipated that it could and so I'm as a self-destructive individual, I'm kind of turning it outward and and I'm not happy about that. So until some of those things change and I return to my old self, I feel it's in the best interest of the podcast and myself to step back until I'm a little more even. I don't know. You've always been odd, so I don't want you even. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. (laughs) But I do want to thank Carrie and Laura, both of you, for supporting me with this. I really appreciate it. And I I hope and thank the listeners for understanding. Oh, I didn't think that would make me cry. (laughs) We would do anything for you. I know. I just feel terrible. Don't feel bad. You know, we talk so much about mental health on this podcast too. And it's Mm -hmm. so good to be proactive and know that if you're overwhelmed, it's okay to take a break and it's okay to just hit the pause button on some stuff in your life so that you can settle back down. I know that I've done it, you know, Mm -hmm. in the past year a lot. So Mm -hmm. it's really important to take care of that for yourself. And we did it with me. Yeah, we did it with me when, when I had those 
mini strokes. We went on a month long hiatus for the podcast so that I could get shit at work straightened out and settled down. And, and yeah, it, it's, and we didn't have Laura at that time. So we had to go on a hiatus because there wasn't anybody to, you know, carry it with the other one. So we would do absolutely anything for you. And we will do well. Laura will do her very best to fill your shoes. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a steep, uh, steep a, climb there. So I'll do the best I can. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you'll do fine. We'll let Archie put up like a score every week, you know, like. I mean, 6. I did mm-hmm. eight. <laughs> like in the Olympics, he's like. Exactly. We should get a picture of him holding up like a. A little side paper, yes. like. Yeah, that's how well I did. That's perfect. Oh my god! Well, remember when I did Amityville Horror and he graded me on my history? I was like, and he gave me like a B minus. I was like, Rob, don't grade her. Yeah, he's like basically the Russian judge, (laughs) fucking everybody up. Right? Oh my god. (laughs) Like, listen, East Germany, you need to take a step back. (laughs) We absolutely should do that. Oh, my God. And then just include it with that week's um, social media pictures. Archie's score. (laughs) We totally should. That's great. I love it. Holy crap. This is how Laura did this week. (laughs) (laughs) Give her a 7.2. Oh my God. That's really funny. I love it. It's brilliant. So yeah, Archie, we would do anything in the world for you and the listeners, of course, will understand. And I just, I want you to, you know, take the time that you need to do the things that you need. And it's not like, you know, that we're not all three going to be, you know, talking to each other or anything. So I know, I know. I just, it's going to feel weird next week. I know. So, You've never missed an episode. You've never once missed I'm an episode. And I can understand one. how burnout. Yeah, you are the only one. I can understand <laughs> how burnout happens. So I definitely don't want that to happen. This podcast wouldn't ever be the same without you. And the listeners would miss you so much. So do what you need to do to get your fucking life right. And <laughs> I wish it was in my hands. God, get yourself some Jesus and find yourself. <laughs> Find the Lord and come on back to us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, to that end, um, Archie brings down the episode right out of the gate. Sorry. <laughs> I really didn't think I was going to cry. Um, we are going to uh, get going on this really cool story. And Laura, have you ever heard of the Greenbrier ghost? It sounds familiar, but I can't place it. I you think know, my favorite murder things, covered like, it. I think I've heard it. Did I think it, my favorite they, I might have murder, heard it. Then. Yeah, in a live show. Have you ever heard of it, Archie? I've heard the name, but I I confuse it with a lot of other things. Like three of our cats are named Bear, Fox, and Rabbit. But oh. I know that the Briar Patch, yes. not the Green Briar. Briar. <laughs> Yeah, Br'er Rabbit, love it. Splash Mountain's my favorite ride at Disneyland. <laughs> right. <laughs> so okay. I'm not I'm not on there a hundred percent, but I'm almost there. <laughs> okay. Well, it is going to be a really it's a really great story. And as you guys know, it's true crime and paranormal. It's a together, and I love when we do this kind of shit. So we're going to take a really quick break and we will be back to tell you all about the Green Briar Ghost. We'll be right back, guys. Hi, I'm Cassie. I'm Tiffany. And we're the hosts of Happy Hour Gets Weird. On our podcast, we talk all things weird, like UFOs, Bigfoot, astrology, ghosts, and even true crime. And every episode, we create a fabulous new cocktail. So fabulous. If you're looking for a little weirdness, please search Happy Hour Gets Weird on your favorite podcast platform. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Well, let's get started. This week, we are talking about the Greenbrier Ghost, 
And Carrie is taking the right of credit on this episode. She Again, I need to stop doing this. <laughs> <laughs> got her information from wikipedia.com, gothichorrorstories.com, and appalachianhistory.net. Also, that's but gothic that horror. Thing. Yeah, it really was. Um, also, it's gothic horror stories, not gothic horror stories, which is what that sounded like to me. <laughs> Go thick or horror stories. Got it. Uh, <laughs> I, like <your> stories. Go. <laughs> I bet that website is way more fun. Go on. Right? <laughs> I mean, wait till you hear, wait till you hear her, right? Her, oh, God. <laughs> wait till you hear her story, and then you can decide if she's a whore or not. Anyway, go on. Okay. <laughs> Near the grave on the side of a mountain in West Virginia is a historic marker that makes West Virginia the only state to claim to have a murder trial reach a conviction with the testimony of a ghost. The marker reads, quote, interred in nearby cemetery is Zona Heifster Shoe. Her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how she was killed by her husband, Edward. Autopsy on the exhumed body um, verified the apparition's account. Edward, Edward, found guilty of murder, was sentenced to the state prison. Only known case in which testimony from a ghost helped convict a murderer. That's Zona, amazing. I love yeah. this. I love this. Yes. Zona Heaster Shue was born at the foot of, of Little Sewell Mountain, a bit north of Meadow Bluff. As far as we know, Zona never left Greenbrier County. The middle child, with four brothers, raised in a God-fearing home, not much is known about her short life. And in 1895, things had turned bad for Zona Heastershoe, who was about 21 or 22 years old. She had given birth to a child out of wedlock with a man named George Woldridge. One writer said it was a boozy, buggy ride, Popped up on moonshine and hormones. I mean, which we've of us all has been there. Come on, there. exactly. <laughs> right. George didn't good. have any money, not much of a job, and couldn't support a wife, let alone a wife and child. Listen, according... tone it down over there. <laughs> <laughs> and according to the story, wasn't even sure if it was his child. Strongly attractive, and from the looks of her photo, rather intense. It would have been easy for Zona to have been cast out from the community. Perhaps she went to stay with a relative for the last few months or just stayed on the farm rather than visiting her cousins in Falling Springs 10 miles or so across the county. So whatever happened, there are actually no documented reports of the baby beyond its birth. It simply vanishes. Uh, what I found really funny was that Ancestry.com even offers a free subscription for anyone who can find where the child went. Wow. Wow. Right. I was like, all right. Um, but that's all I said was, all right, not like, all right, I'm going to crack this case. I don't I already, <laughs> I don't need an ancestry like, yeah. subscription. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> my mother's got one. We're, we're set. Um, so Zona was apparently the apple of her father's eye until the apple got a worm in it. I was, loved the writing in this article. <laughs> It was up to the mother to straighten out the wayward daughter and, if possible, keep her reputation intact until she could be married off and no longer her parents' worry. That's not how shit goes anymore. It's <laughs> just not how it goes anymore. Um, after all, if Zona had kept the baby, it would have been up to her parents to feed it and probably raise it. They could barely make ends meet as it was. The last thing they needed was for another mouth to feed and a black mark on the family's reputation. So her mother, Mary Jane Heaster, was by all reports an upstanding, God-fearing, and it should be added, strong-willed woman. Their home in the shadow of the little Sewell Mountain was quite a ways from the nearest big town. It was a rugged life, and Zona felt confined there. It's believed that Zona used her visit used to visit her cousins on her mother's side in Falling Spring, now known as Rennick, which was about 25 miles away. It wasn't the city, but it wasn't at the foot of the mountain either. She had already learned the hard way. Bad boys are more fun, but she likely had had enough of bad boys who lacked a decent job. Oh, man, right? Preach. 
can't raise my hand over here. And so Zona fell for the blacksmith. So Trout Shoe was born Erasmus Stribling Shoe, known as Trout, um, in his early 30s when he showed up in Greenbrier County back in 1895. He was tall and muscular with trembling lips and piercing eyes, which were said to turn black with anger. Well, that's a demon, if you ask me. If anyone sees Supernatural, <laughs> that's a fucking demon. But regardless, he turned Zona's knees to jelly. <laughs> Shoe was born in Mossy Creek over in Fayette County. The son of Jacob Shue, a respected blacksmith, and Trout followed in his father's trade. Some years later, Jacob Shue moved his family to Droop Mountain, which borders Greenbrier County. 34 years earlier, it was the site of one of the most important battles of the Civil War to have taken place on West Virginia soil. Oh, wow, According cool. to the Green... Yeah, a little bit of history there. A little bit of history tossed in. Yeah. According to the Greenbrier ghost legends, Trout was a mystery, as Pocahontas County is described as having been another world apart from Greenbrier in those days. He took work as a blacksmith in a shop belonging to James Crookshanks. It wasn't long before his path crossed Zona's. In Trout's shoe, Zona found a release for her passion, as well as stability, in that it was more than a drunken one-night stand. Don't we all love that? I mean, come on. Fuck the happy had a real job, right? <laughs> she had a real job, and to everyone around them, it was obvious that they were deeply in love. But Trout had baggage himself. There it uh, is. To be, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't there always a caveat? Fucking catch left and right. right? <laughs> and then the other shoe drops. All right. Yeah. This is like the uh, Manolo Blahnik of shoe drops, however. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Um, So to begin with, she was about a decade older than Zona, and he'd been married before, most recently to a 16-year-old named Lucy Ann Tritt. So during the trial, uh, the talk around Greenbrier County was that Lucy was only 16, and immediately after the wedding, they settled on Droop Mountain. So about six months later, she was dead under mysterious circumstances. Dun, dun, dun. Kind of. Right. Mm. The explanation usually given is that while working on the chimney, shoe dropped the brick, which landed on her head. I oh. mean, you know, sometimes these wow. things happen. Sometimes they do. Some- you know, what can you do? <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> you know. So now his first wife, Allie Cutlip, Trout and Allie got married in 1885. And had a child together two years later, a girl named Gerda Lucretia Shue. During this time, the couple lived in the bride's hometown, um, which was Falling Springs, and it was also in Greenbrier County, the same tiny town where Zona often visited her cousins. Legend has it that Trout used to rough up Allie. It got so bad, some of the local boys came into the house one night, one night yanked Trout from his bed and tossed him in the frozen Greenbrier River as a chilling warning. Matt, I love the writing in this article as a chilling warning. <laughs> frozen <laughs> river. Frozen right. river, chilling Not going to be fun. Mm-mm. Literal literacy. Shu <laughs> <laughs> later denied being cruel to his wife, but the rumors preceded him. He claimed she was unbalanced and that the child was being raised by Ellie's parents. Well, now comes to the marriage of Zona Heaster and Erasmus Shue. There was said to be one obstacle to their marriage, Zona's mother, Mary Jane, who took an instant dislike and distrust of Erasmus Stribling Shue. In her eyes, Trout was the devil himself. Oh, good call, Carrie. And she was dead set against the marriage. It's the black eyes. I'm telling you what, that's not a good sign. (laughs) That's not a good look either. (laughs) Facts were bad enough. He'd been married before, twice, abandoned his child, and been in prison. Oh, that's new. (laughs) (laughs) That's not your dream son-in-law. But a mother's wish has little sway over a daughter's desire. And in November of 1896, in the Methodist church at... Lifesay, Lifesay's mill? Sure. Sure, why not? Zona and Trout were married. 
They set up house in a two-story frame home that had once been the residence of the founding father of Livesay's mill, William G. Livesay. Say it again one more time, because that word just can't be used enough, apparently, in that paragraph. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what a shock. His name was Livesay. Go on. (laughs) Livesay's mill. Livesay's mill, founded by William G. Livesay. And so they were settled into what is now the still tiny settlement of Richlands, West Virginia, a hardworking and by all accounts devoted husband and his doting wife. Perhaps for some reason, the older Crookshanks took a liking to Shu and thought it best to get him out of Falling Spring. At any rate, Zona was closer to home if she chose to visit and close enough to her cousins so she wouldn't feel isolated in Livesay's mill. Livesay, Livesay, Livesay. 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 Um, where was this again? Livesay's mill. <laughs> haven't you heard? Oh, I haven't <laughs> heard of it. Popular tourist destination in rural West Virginia. <laughs> you know, I did hear of a William G. Livesay. Is that it's his namesake? Same, the same guy. Oh, my God. Coincidence oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. I've got to go change Koi's name to Livesay. <laughs> I love the word. Your so name much. is now Livesay. It is now Livesay. He just shut the door in my face like he does with all the bullshit stuff I take to him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean our children don't actually find us as fascinating as we find ourselves? How crazy. No, we don't. <laughs> I'm like, I swear to God, I was cool. Fuck off. <laughs> I know. You ruined all of it. I went to Koi the one day and I was like, Am I a bad mother, Corey? <laughs> And he actually shut the bedroom door in my face. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) all right. Anyway, so after ringing in the new year of 1897, Zona got sick. So for the next couple of weeks, she was looked after by Dr. George W. Livesay. I'm kidding. George W. Knapp. (laughs) Too bad. Yeah. Though the cause of her ailment is something of a mystery. There were rumors that Zona was pregnant again, and perhaps this was the reason she and Shu married so quickly. Trout stayed by her side, and witnesses testified during the trial that he was a devoted husband and truly cared for her, which makes it a mystery why a few days later he broke her neck. Oh. Yeah, (laughs) plot twist. (laughs) Right? Ouch. Yeah. So it was January 22nd, 1897, and very blistering cold in Richlands, West Virginia. Trout Shoe had gone by 11-year-old Anderson Jones's house earlier that morning on the way to work and asked his mother, who was known around town as Aunt Martha, if her son could check on his wife later. She was needing help picking some eggs, or I'm sorry, she was needing help pickling some eggs, which sounds just foul and sauerkrauty. I'm all, I have some sauerkraut for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, she was needing some help pickling some eggs and had no business being out in the cold gathering them. Anderson apparently was already busy that morning, um, but Aunt Martha promised that she'd have him look in on Zona when he got back. She was agitated and actually came back four times to find out if Anderson had been there yet, and he hadn't. So it was after lunch before the 11-year-old boy reached the front porch of Shu's house and knocked on the door. There was no answer, so he opened the door a crack and called out for Mrs. Shue. Still no answer. He went on in, and there lying on the floor was Zona Heaster Shue at the foot of the stairs, stretched out with her feet together. One hand was on her abdomen, and the other was lying next to her. Her head was turned slightly to one side, and her eyes were wide open and staring. Anderson freaked, as you do. Right. Yeah, and ran screaming across the field toward his own home. His mother heard him and came running. Together, they ran and told Shu, and then fetched Dr. George Knapp, who was the guy that was taking care of her when she was sick. That sounds very staircasey. It's like an right. old school staircase. Mm-hmm. 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 So uh, when Doc Knapp reached the house, uh, Trout was in the bedroom, cradling the head of his dead wife, um, inconsolable. After finding her corpse, Trout had dressed her in a fine dress, if somewhat old-fashioned, with a tall, stiff collar, veil over her face and around her neck, what he said was her favorite scarf. The doctor at first examined Zona for signs of life. Finding none, he made a cursory examination for the cause of death. 
um, that seemed to piss off Trout in his grief, and knowing all too well of Zona's ill health, he determined that the cause of death was everlasting faint, aka a heart attack, which he later changed to childbirth. Sure, because you can confuse those two very easily. You know, very it's like the same mm-hmm. It's like inside you. Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they both are. You don't they know. They both are. You don't know. It could be the heart. <laughs> she could have had a baby. Who knows? There are things. So while being interviewed for the trial, Anderson Jones described finding her body. Quote, going to the house, I felt that something was wrong. All of the doors were closed and there was an air about the place I did not like. Reaching the steps, I saw a trail of blood. That scared me, but I went to the door and knocked. No one answered. I tried it and finding the door unlocked, walked into the kitchen. The trail of blood continued to cross the floor to the dining room. This door, too, was closed. Once more, I knocked, and getting no answer, walked in. I stumbled over Mrs. Shue's body. There she was, stretched out on the floor, looking right up at me through wide-open eyes. She seemed to be laughing. I was frightened, but still able to reach down and shake her. She was stiff and cold. Running from the house, I called across the field to Aunt Martha. Mrs. Shue was dead. As she ran to the house, I went down the road for Mr. Shue, finding him at the blacksmith shop with Charles Tapscott. When I told him what I had found, he let out a yell and with Mr. Tapscott started for the house. I continued on to get Dr. Knapp. Well, Dr. Knapp sent writers to inform Mr. and Mrs. Heaster of their daughter's death. Her body, accompanied by her son-in-law and others from the Richlands, followed suit the next day. The day after came the funeral, and still Trout was out of his head with grief. He refused to leave his wife's side during the wake, spending most of the time still cradling her head in his hands, holding a pillow to the side of her face to keep her comfortable. On the other side of her head, he had folded a sheet for that same purpose. Hmm. Keeping a dead body comfortable? That's... Hmm. Okay. Okay. At times, Trout leapt up and paced the room, showing great energy in contrast to his overwhelming grief, which the other mourners put down to his mourning. But Shu's odd behavior aroused the suspicion of more than one person at the wake, some of whom noticed that as the corpse was being taken to the cemetery, the head flopped about more than one would expect. Well, back then they had, I mean, people saw dead bodies all the time, too. Everybody had the... Yeah. Stuff mm-hmm. in their house. You know what I mean? Like the, everybody had the wakes in their house and they would leave the people out for days so everybody could come and pay their respect. There was nothing happened quickly. It was very it was very common, yeah. So right. Yeah. So they would have experience with mm-hmm. seeing dead people who had died of natural causes versus her kind of flopping around. Floppier. What a well, I mean, her head was cut like she was a little bobbleheady. I mean, she know. paints a picture, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, Zona was buried in the graveyard of Seoul Methodist Church on January 25th up on Sewell Mountain in a grave which remained unmarked until 1979. Wow. It took almost a hundred years before the congregation of the church erected a marker the most famous person buried there. However, Zona's mother, Marianne Heaster, wasn't just suspicious of Trout Shoe. She was convinced. When told of her daughter's death, Marianne responded with, quote, the devil has killed her. Keep in mind, by this time, she's already aware of Shoe's reputation from her family in Falling Springs, where his ex-wife lives. She likely has heard the rumors of his second, from neighbors in her own district. This isn't a mother's intuition, it's a reasoned guess based on a mix of fact and rumor. I mean, can we just say that she doesn't sound like the best mother-in-law? She doesn't sound like a ball of fun. Not that all mother-in-laws are bad, just she doesn't sound awesome. She doesn't. <laughs> no, I mean, she really sounds like a pill. I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I would, I'm saying I wouldn't want her as a mother-in-law. Just right, yeah. like she doesn't sound fun. I, I'm not. I'm not in on this. <laughs> so, after the funeral, her her mother Mary Jane had removed the sheet which had been used as her daughter's head prop. Okay. Um, blah, 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 blah. Okay. 
Um, and at first she tried to return it to Trout, who refused it. Taking it back home, she began washing it by hand and was chilled, chilled to see that as she did so, the water in the basin turned blood red and a foul odor of death emanated from the cloth. I mean, it was against a dead body for okay. how, who knows yeah. how long. The water then cleared and Mary Ann, sorry, I called her Mary Jane a minute ago. It's Mary Ann. Might have put the incident down to her imagination had she not seen, then seen that the sheet was now stained pink. Convinced it was a sign and having no recourse except left. <clears throat> Convinced it was it. a sign. <laughs> right, words are super hard. Convinced it was a sign and having no recourse left except to her God, Zona's mother began to pray. Each night she begged that Zona would return and tell her the truth of her death. The prayer paid off, and on a dark and moonless West Virginia night, a radiant white light appeared to Marianne, and which then faded away. On the next night, Zona appeared herself, not as a wispy form, but as flesh and blood, or corporeal, corporeal and cold to the touch. For the next three nights, Zona appeared to her mother and told her the story. On the night before her body had been discovered, her husband had come home and was pissed off when he saw that she hadn't cooked any meat to go with supper. The specter I went on to tell, I mean, <laughs> seriously, no, what right. kind of wife is that? your own fault. <laughs> the specter went on to tell her mother that her husband in a blind rage overpowered her and closed his fingers around her throat. Such was his fury that Trout hadn't merely choked his wife to death. Instead, his iron stone grip had mashed her windpipe, ruptured and, ruptured and tearing ligaments before finally breaking her neck, snapping it between the first and second vertebrae. After, oh. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. some force. And that takes a lot of rage and anger to strangle somebody. That's not... It does. But he's also a blacksmith. So you have to realize like his hands yeah. are already really strong. Mm -hmm. I mean, just by his trade, yeah. profession. Yeah, yeah. like it's... He's very, he's going to be really strong, muscular, and very strong hands. Yeah. So after relating this tale as a seemingly reanimated corpse of her murdered daughter made her way towards the door and away from her mother for the last time, Zona turned her head towards her mother, Mary Ann. <laughs> Mary Jane Ann. Mary Jane Ann. <laughs> Mary Jane Ann. <laughs> completely around on her body to show her that indeed her neck had been shattered. When faced with the ghost of your dead daughter, pleading to you, pleading to you to exact vengeance, you'd likely take it seriously. And her mother certainly did. Mary Jane Ann. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you Mary Jane Ann live say. Yeah. <laughs> Mary Jane Ann live say. Yes. <laughs> So building the case against Shu was made easier by her brother and sister-in-law, who probably both knew Shu and certainly knew his ex-wife, who was now their neighbor. Fucking gossipers. <laughs> Rumors spread both about the murder and Trout Shu's unsavory past. He does not sound like a cool dude. He doesn't. And I'm pretty sure I dated his descendant when I was in high school. Right. <laughs> <laughs> pretty sure I know him. Pretty sure I know him. Uh, Alon, oh. with her brother-in-law, Marianne Hester, paid a visit to the county prosecutor, John Alfred Preston, pleading with him to open the case once more, telling him the visitation of her daughter. Whether Preston believed Marianne is not known, but he had heard the stories which were circulating. After asking around and finding that several people in the area had the same suspicions, he spoke with Dr. Knapp. Knapp had remained somewhat troubled about Zona's death himself, as Trout's grief prevented him from examining the body, body as thoroughly as he liked. And he told Preston so. Oh my God. Like what? Like, okay. I get it. It's the late 1890s, but right. uh, this is why you're not allowed at your loved one's autopsy folks. Mm -hmm. This is why um, most of us wouldn't right. want to be there except for me, because that's actually what I wanted to be was a death investigator. But Right. It's like, well, definitely don't look at her neck. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems like, yeah, everything that he did was like very cover yeah, let's all put a of scarf it. on it and cover yes. it and then like prop it up and do all the things. 
Yeah. She loved fine. That it's fine. It's concealing. fine. Don't don't worry. It's fine. I got this. I got this. She loved <laughs> this dress. She loved right? it. That's great. So armed uh, with this information and the word of several locals who had reported seeing bruising on the neck of Zona, he ordered that the corpse be exhumed, a ballsy act unheard of in rural West Virginia at the time. So when told about the scheduled autopsy, Trout Shoe naturally vigorously complained. But as next of kin, he was informed that his presence there was mandatory. He'd go willingly or by court order. He said he knew he'd be arrested, but they will not be able be able to prove I did it. If that's not it, fucking admitting guilt, I don't know what sentence in the world is. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't prove it. It's like, haha, taunt, taunt. So this statement, which she repeatedly made up to and during the trial, could have two meanings. The diabolical one is the obvious, which we just talked about. Um, that he like covered his tracks and they never be able to like figure out that it was him. Although we have just stated like several reasons why he is <laughs> sus as fuck. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but um, however, his relatives later would point to another obvious meaning that they couldn't prove it because he didn't do it. That's actually less obvious if you ask me. Right, yeah. He yeah. T- like that's not something I would say. Right? Well, yeah, I mean, well. I didn't do it. Nobody saw me do it. You can't prove anything. Kind of like. Yeah, it sounds like my six-year-old when he's like, did you brush your teeth? No. <laughs> right. Did you eat that? It. Did you take that cookie? Nope. This uh-uh. is nope, in, didn't happen. A thousand percent. This is a third grade court. Right. It's right. fucking you court. You can't prove it. You can't prove it. Nobody saw me do it. You can't prove anything. Like mm-hmm. Bart Simpson is not the judge of this trial, sir. <laughs> exactly. In my shorts. Okay. I still got it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh my God. On March 9th, more than a month after her death, Zona was dug up and brought to Nichols Schoolhouse, now gone or lost to the woods. Trout Shoe accompanied the small party of neighbors, led by Prosecutor Preston and Dr. Knapp, as well as some local law enforcement. The neighbors recruited to dig up the grave refused until threatened with prosecution. Such was the stigma of the time of disturbing the dead. Oh, wow. Trout whittled while the three doctors, headed by Dr. Knapp, sliced. The body was in remarkably good shape as the West Virginia winter kept it chilled. As is common practice in an autopsy, they examined Zona's stomach for poison and checked the other vital organs of the chest and abdomen. Anderson Jones accompanied the party to the autopsy and tells the story. Quote, Dr. Knapp was working around Mrs. Shue's head. I could see Shue was getting more nervous. His whittling was not so good. Now, this is the 11-year-old boy that found the body, Mm -hmm. to to remind you. Thank you, because I (laughs) forgot. Honestly, I'm like, okay, Anderson Jones, cool. Oh, (laughs) new character, all right. Right? He's very critical of the whittling. Very critical. (laughs) Suddenly, the doctor turned to Mr. Preston. They whispered together for a few minutes. Then Mr. Preston turned to Shu and said, Well, Shu, we have found your wife's neck to be broken. Shu's head dropped. A change came over him that I can't explain, but it certainly proved his guilt to me. The The Pocahontas Times reported that, quote, on the throat were the marks of fingers indicating that she had been choked, that the neck was dislocated between the first and second vertebra. The ligaments were torn and ruptured. The windpipe had been crushed at a point in front of the neck. Hmm. She was arrested, and yet as they passed his house in Richards on their way to the jail of Sheriff Bill Nickel, they stopped and he cooked the whole party breakfast. Why not? I mean... Right. Good job. Psychopaths are fun because they can compartmentalize. Well, they you breakfast have... now, killing later, do all the things. We've had a long night of autopsying. Let's <laughs> let's eat first before yeah, we get down. I'm to hungry. Rest. I mean, come on. 
They then rode on to where Trout was held without bail for the first-degree murder of his, his wife, Zona Easter Shoe. On May 20, 1897, the Pocahontas Times reported Trout Shoe, now in jail, awaiting trial for the murder of his wife, has threatened to kill himself, so it must have discouraged him as well, or perhaps he was grieving for his wife. Hmm, I wonder which it was. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. <laughs> so in those days, justice wasn't swift. I mean, it's not fucking Johnny on the spot now either, but okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't until June that Circuit Judge J.M. McWhorter made his way to Lewisburg. While waiting for his arrival, Prosecutor Preston tried to shore up his case against Shu with the help of his assistant prosecutor, Henry Gilmer. After all, the evidence against him discounting the spectral evidence was purely circumstantial. Shu's lawyers must have been horrified when they saw how the story of Marianne's visitation by the Greenbrier ghost and the treacherous picture painted of their client had permeated the Greenbrier social consciousness. So his Shu's enemies in various parts of the county had decided not to wait for the judge and instead tried him in the court of public opinion. Having no family in the county to defend him, he was guilty before the judge dropped the first gavel in the courtroom, likely with the jury as well. For his part, Dr. Shu hired Dr. William Rucker and the first Black attorney to practice in a Greenbrier court, James P.D. Gardner. Awaiting trial, Shu told another inmate that the case would never stand up in court and that he would soon be freed and hoped to eventually marry seven times. This, of course, came out during the trial as well, because he's just a catch. I mean, he's just a catch. I mean, he sounds really nice. Mm -hmm. I mean, I bet you're regretting <laughs> lesbianism now, aren't you? I mean, he could probably go to change me. I'm not, I'm, you know. <laughs> if there's one thing you can say about Trout Shoe, even through the murky waters of folklore, the man didn't know when to keep his mouth shut. On June 30th, 1897, the trial of Trout Shoe what i what hold on i you wrote it <laughs> i didn't write it i copied and pasted okay plagiarism at its finest <laughs> they don't understand your own <laughs> this is why we cite sources so when it's fucked up it's not our problem we're simply just reading the news <laughs> um okay <laughs> okay on June 30th, 1897, the trial of Trout Shoe for the murder of Zona Heaster Shoe began in Greenbrier Court. Prosecutor Preston kept his case to earthly facts, including testimony from several people of how Trout had refused to let anyone near his wife's body during the wake and funeral, as well as the stiff, high-necked collar and scarf with a large bow tied around her neck. Others related how after the funeral, Shu's grief seemed to have dissipated quickly, and he showed no signs of mourning and behaved nothing like a man who had lost his wife of little more than a couple of months. So, he couldn't introduce the spectral evidence, but he made sure the local gossip got to the jury. Mm -hmm. It didn't seem like that was going to be hard. No. <laughs> right? <laughs> Seemed like that shit was going around pretty hardcore. <laughs> so Preston didn't have to put Mary Jane Hester on the stand to recount the story of the ghost. Everybody already knew it. Then came the defense, and they tried to offer alternate theories. There were other explanations for a broken neck, including the typical jostling of a body in January, both in dressing, you know, putting them in the coffin and carrying them in a wagon over 15 miles across frozen roads. Then Rucker and Gardner turned to the circumstances that had led to the autopsy in the first place, the visitation of Mary Jane Heaster by her deceased daughter, Zona. Well, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. so sorry. What is this bitch's yeah, name? I was going to say Carrie. Mary and Jane Heaster. Right. Live say. Right, live say. Right. But this article has interchanged her name with Anne and Jane a gazillion times. And <laughs> I didn't catch it. Her mother's name well, is Mary. Right. So Mary Heaster. <laughs> 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 I'm going to skip all that shit. 
Um, Arch, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but a dead body can't bruise, right? No, it's true because there's no blood flow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I'm under the impression. I mean, who didn't watch CSI? Like, we're all fucking experts now. <laughs> like, all that blood splatter is fucked up. I watched Dexter. I know. <laughs> well, Why I'm am sure- I going to spend so much money for a nursing degree? I could just watch Bones. Right? <laughs> but I was under the impression that a dead body can't bruise. So their story about jostling her body after she's dead, causing the bruising, just sounds ludicrous to me. Well, so they're the talking neck- about the broken neck. So right. the, body so the broken body- neck. That's what they're talking about, the bruising. They're talking about how her neck broke and it probably broke after death in the jostling, bouncing on the frozen road. Mm. But again, that doesn't make any sense either. Well, she was found at the bottom of stairs. So, okay, I can get the broken neck. I mean, I kind of talked about the staircase earlier, like, you know, that whole thing. Like, people fall downstairs and get hurt. That does happen. It does seem like with the fingerprints, that's what, like, the hand thing. Okay, the broken neck. She was from the bottom of the stairs. Like, I mean, all of that you could explain, but the not the not the hand. The handprints around the neck. Yeah, is that's really yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, besides right. the fact that he's sus as fuck, like, but that's the end right there, I think. Okay. For me. All right. I'm sorry for the interruption. Yeah, you should be. Don't ever right. be sorry for interruptions. <laughs> I never am, and they're always I'm... glorious and wonderful. <laughs> Says the girl who interrupts all the time. All right. So <laughs> Modern writers. Archie, do you believe this bitch? I can't believe she (laughs) said that about me. I I don't do that all the time. Good luck next week. (laughs) I know it's gonna be super fun. My my purse is gonna take like three hours. (laughs) Just because I said that, it's gonna be revenge on all the time. (laughs) Oh, by the way, I found two more fucking zip ties in Koi's bathroom today. (laughs) Speaking of, and I'm still hoping that there's still some there that I can find when I get there. But anyway, back to the story. Modern writers tend to think they put her on the stands to make a mockery of how the case was reopened. But the reality is, since everyone had already heard about it, they had no choice but to ask her about the ghost and try to, like, punch a hole in their story. So in her response to attacks on her character, Mary Jane Heaster Livesay replied that she was uh, not a superstitious woman. She was a good Christian, and that Zona's appearance was not a dream. According to the Greenbrier Independent, which printed the entire transcript, an event unheard of at the time. And here, Laura's going to read the entire transcript. Sit back. We've got four more hours to go. Let's go. Let's do this. So question. I have heard that you had some dream or vision which led to this postmortem examination. Her answer they saw enough themselves without me telling them it was no dream. She came back and told me that he was mad that she didn't have no meat cooked for supper. The defense attacked Mary Jane mercilessly, which backfired as she responded with dignity and stuck to her story. She was just like the people in the jury box. She believed in the power of a mother's intuition, just like they did that the ghost of a murdered girl could appear to her mother was completely believable. And most of all, when a wife is killed, the husband is a natural suspect. And we all know that's still true. That's still true, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Mary Jane and Heaster Livesay, um, and like Lee Shoes' (laughs) first wife, made sure he looked guilty as he could before he ever stepped into the witness box the next day. Quoted in the Greenbrier Independent on July 1st, 1897, it says, Shoe was on the stand all Tuesday afternoon. He was given free reign and talked at great length. It was very minute and particular in describing unimportant incidents. Denied pretty much everything said by other witnesses. Said the prosecution was all spite work. Entered a positive denial with the charge against him. Vehemently protested his innocence, calling God to witness admitted that he had served a term in the pen, declared that he dearly loved his wife and appealed to the jury to look into his face and then say if he was guilty. His testimony, manner, etc., made an unfavorable impression on the spectators. 
the jury took less than an hour to return a guilty verdict. Shu had told reporters in jail that he would never be convicted as there was no evidence against him, which also seemed to backfire as this was listed as among the reasons his guilt was so readily apparent. (laughs) (laughs) Shu was sentenced to life in prison, a sentence which was almost never carried out as an impromptu lynch mob formed to exact the vengeance that they believed the court had failed them in. It was only because of the quick thinking of a determined deputy that the mob was turned back. And eventually four of them faced charges for their attempt on the life of Shu. As for Shu, he was sent away to the West Virginia State Prison in Moundsville, where three years later he fell victim victim to an epidemic that passed through the cell block. Early COVID. Right? COVID for Spanish flu. Right, early version. (laughs) Um, In the end, writing in the Monroe Watchman, an unknown reporter's father attended the trial as a spectator. Writing in 1971, Watchman states that according to his father, quote, those who witnessed the trial were much impressed with her sincerity and the jury of 12 good men of Greenbrier County and Judge J.W. McWhorter evidently believed her. The question of whether a person can return from the grave was very well answered. In short, Trout Shoe was convicted based on spectral evidence, just as the victims in the Salem witch trials. A desperate and unavoidable move by the defense spelled his doom, but it was already etched before his mother-in-law took the stand. The defense was summed up this way. Quote, there was no living witness to, to the crime charged against defending, defendant Shoe, and the state rests its case for conviction wholly upon circumstances connecting the accused with the murder charged. So the connection of the accused with the crime depends entirely upon the strength of the circumstantial evidence introduced by the state. There is no middle ground for you, the jury, to take. The verdict, in, the verdict inevitably and logically must be for murder in the first degree or for an acquittal. Public opinion is easily sussed out in this case. After all, some of the good people of Meadow Bluff are going to lynch him after the trial. People associate lynchings with blacks, which is true in more cases than whites. But it's also true that in their thirst for vengeance, American mobs were no more sympathetic to white skin than black. It might not have been nothing more than mist in the room, or it could have been much like she described. Either way, it convinced Mary Jane and Hester Lively that her daughter wasn't at rest and she needed to take steps to help her find peace. Maybe she did read the article about how the ghost story convicted a criminal who would otherwise go free and took inspiration from that and combined it with her own experience. And perhaps she had help in fleshing out the details to make it more believable and to point more clearly to Shu's guilt. But you have to admit, based on the evidence that we have, she was able to point to the fact that her daughter's neck had been broken when the doctor who examined her wasn't able. In the end, like all ghost stories, it comes down to whether you believe what the storyteller is telling and whether you believe a living person or the green briar ghosts. And that yeah. is the story. Wow. What do you think? What do you think, Arch? <laughs> It was definitely interesting, especially um, Mary Ann Jane Livers. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Jane and her name, Livers. Right? <laughs> God damn. Um, so do you think that the, the, the daughter's ghost appeared to her mother? Or her mother seemed to know interesting details that actually happened to the body. Yeah, yeah. Her mother had specific details, which the coroner did find later once her body was exhumed. Right. So I find that to be very interesting. See, for me, I think that her mother's intuition was very, like, fucked off, right? And obviously knew something was terribly wrong. And then had all those experiences after the funeral and what have you. And I'm not saying she didn't get a visitation dream or something from her daughter, which very much could have happened. But I think you take all those, and as a mother, like, you know when something is wrong, Mm -hmm. you know when something is off, 
And combined with all the circumstantial stuff, I'm sure that she figured out what had happened. She definitely had an idea and knew that the doctor hadn't really looked at it and just kind of put everything together too. I mean, there's that perspective as well, right? Like she was clearly a smart lady who knew, right? like she had washed all that stuff out, right? So she knew that there was something going on with her neck. She saw his suspicious behavior. You know what I mean? There's a lot of stuff that like was happening that would have pointed her to say those things in that way as well. Mm-hmm. Does that make true. sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, and pursuing justice—that was like the way that she could, like, be like, "No, the she only you know what I mean, like, yeah, right, like, no, she yeah. told me we have to exhume her body and look because yeah. I know that something is fucking wrong." And right. if my kid was killed, I mean, I would fucking do anything to get the person who mm-hmm. had harmed them, you know? Right. I mean, yeah. obviously, you're I mean, both mother like, on the right track. You're both on the right track, but clearly, the ghost came and told her mother. Right. Well, clearly there's no other explanation. A ghost solved a murder. I mean, and we love that. <laughs> we're here to be like the when they're helpful. <laughs> right. Like I love the ones that would like carry my luggage help. and do shit. And like <laughs> the ones that like, <laughs> go to the ceiling and do fucked up shit. I'm not a fan, but I like right? the bell hops and all that. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Not the ones who like watch you, watch you sleep at the foot of your bed or yeah. I mean, if they're sure. going to make it when I get out, it's fine. But if they're not going to help, it's just, I mean, I don't have enough time. Stop wasting your time and I'm mine. busy. You've got more of it than I do in the afterlife. I've got this right? just. you got all day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and night for eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, on. I'm only here till help Monday. I got to, right, yeah. Anyway, guys, that is the Green Briar Ghost. Um, uh, drop us a line. Let us know what you think. Do you think the ghost, you know, went to her? I'd be a fuck. Yeah, I get murdered. And the first person I'm going to is my mom. This motherfucker killed me. This is exactly how he did it. <laughs> this is where he lives. I'm sorry, but right. the movie Ghost is one of my favorites for all these juicy, wonderful murder, paranormal, true crime reasons. And, right. and I have to just say as a caveat, like we did make jokes throughout this. And of course, domestic violence is not a joke. And a thousand percent. Yes. Right. Oh, yeah, we're absolutely. just, we're just having a poke at the story. It's not obviously to make fun of anything that happened to this poor woman. So just putting that out there. So no one, yeah. everybody knows that we do take it seriously. We do take it seriously, but we are making fun of the loser who murdered her. Yes. He sucks. Yes. So to that end, we are going to sign off now. And um, when I say we, it's going to be Archie. Close us out, Arch. It's going to be your last closeout for a few weeks. All right. Well, you should know where to find us by now, everybody. That's it. No. No. <laughs> I was like, you cheated. I'm done. Lord. Fuck you. <laughs> Mic drop. Bam. <laughs> you should we know by be- now. We can be found anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. We are all over social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Do we have a Snapchat? No. No, No, we've got the TikTok. Yes, we have that. Which is the new Snapchat. Um, Also on our website at hoh.com. Podcast, hohpodcast.com. hohpodcast.com, also on Patreon. Please. Like and subscribe on Patreon. You get some exclusive content. And I always leave something out. I always do. I think you hit all. I, I think, think you got, got it. All. Facebook. I think, I think you got it. Yeah, you got it all. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And on Patreon, I'm getting ready to do, to record my next conspiracy mm. theory. And it's going to be a good one. Laura so has. hop yeah. on in there. Yeah, Laura has um, June's uh, conspiracy theory this month. We have done, for those of you debating on whether or not to join, we have done uh, the mystery of the Mary Celeste, Area 51, the mystery of the Ourang Madan, the Black mm-hmm. Dahlia, the Toxic Lady, and now Laura's story, which is going to be revealed next week. <laughs> oh, it's the secret. Yeah, so we've got a bunch of them. It's it's a lot of fun. So um, we also put up some 
Of the evidence that uh, we captured when my team and I, Southern Entities Paranormal, uh, we went and investigated the Devil's Tramping Ground in Bear Creek, North Carolina this last Saturday. So um, the evidence that we captured was um, posted to the Patreons there as well. Patreons get exclusive um, content and all of the evidence that we capture on the ghost hunts that we do. Coming up, Laura is going to join my team and I at the old hospital on College Hill middle of July, uh, she's going to get the fuck out of Arizona and come to the humidity Yay! of uh, back east to investigate that's, this It's not 118. Place. I'm going to be pretty excited. A thousand percent. I was like, okay, it's 91 and 71% humidity. This is kind of muggy and uncomfortable. And then I looked at Phoenix's weather and I'm like, 118, but it's not Phoenix. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's okay. It's a good trade-off. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, all right, guys, we love you. And uh, Laura and I promise to do our very, very best without Archie. He won't be gone for very long. I think we said, what, July you'd be back? Hopefully. I hope so. I really yeah. Hope. And also you can enjoy his ratings um, on our He is Facebook going, page. yeah. Mm-hmm. Archie's ratings um, of how Laura does the history. I mean, it is a class, history of a haunting. Yeah, I mean, get also graded. just know that like he's the wrong judge, and I probably did better than that, and I'm already gonna start fighting it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm lodging my complaint now. <laughs> Great. Anyway, we love you guys, and Archie, we love you. We are going to miss you very, very much. And you, um, yeah, to that end, everybody, stay safe out there because, as always, you never know who or what is listening. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you.